Welcome to Off Brand, the design podcast with a difference. I'm Oscar, and each episode I'll be chatting to a few colleagues about a topic we care about. Cool, so welcome to this month's episode of Off Brand. Um, we're going to be talking about micromobility today, which is a bit of a buzzword kind of globally at the moment with a huge amount of startups. Um, coming out of the woodwork and trying to vie for their spot in in the space and in the market. So there's a lot of opportunity for these companies and a lot of them have done really well. Um, just to kind of point out a few, there's Bird, which is the first one uh, that decided to start supplying electric scooters who are based out of San Francisco. Uh, they actually broke a record and became the fastest company in history to reach a billion dollar valuation, which was after nine months, which is pretty impressive uh they've got lots of other competitors like lime which is also us based they've got mobike which is uh, a china-based uh, bike sharing company so there's lots and lots out there given the fact it's such a young industry uh there's also a lot of issues facing it so today me and bethan are going to be discussing uh kind of what what micromobility is what the options what the issues are and how brand can have a part to play in kind of competition uh, and uh, refining the industry down to a few key players. Um, so, Bethan, I wanted to get your first initial thoughts on what you think of micromobility in its current form. I think it's exciting. Yeah? I think it's an area that... I mean, you see more and more whizzing around London all the time. I think it's that you can see that it solves a genuine need as well, partly because I'm a commuter, so I do have the first and last mile issue. And if I were more balanced, I would definitely get a scooter, but I have balance problems, so I will fall off. Um, but I think that like, there's such positives to it that mm. if they can figure out all of the logistical things that I'm sure we'll kind of end up touching on mm. uh, on this podcast, it's going to be a real phenomenon for people, especially in the commuter world. Um you know, with cities just growing and growing around the world, people are having to move further out to find the right kind of accommodation that they can afford public transport in. But then what do they do and to get to the public transport in the first place and um, get to work the other side? Exactly, yeah. Because, you know, where, where I live, it's people driving or getting taxis to stations. Whereas if you could just... I mean, a lot of people bike anyway, normal old school bikes you actually have to use <laughs> energy because <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess that's the one thing about micromobility is you could argue it's a little bit lazy it, yeah exactly that is one of the arguments and I think it's a lot of people get an, like I get annoyed when I'm cycling my bike like over <laughs> London Bridge and some guy in like a suit and a helmet whizzes past me with absolutely no effort and I'm there like sweating trying to cycle along so it's definitely like Sometimes I'm like, curse you on your... <laughs> little on your, fist raised yeah, at him. Yeah, little rage inside Sweaty my head. Fist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I haven't even got the energy to like call out anything. Yeah. So, but then it does solve the problem. It does. Like, in all seriousness, yeah. if he doesn't get to work, sweaty yeah. and have to change. Exactly. He doesn't rely on having a shower in his office, which a lot of people do if they travel from quite far on bikes, especially when the weather's hot. So... Yeah. You can see that it, it's so practical, it makes sense. Um, and I guess if you if you have a, a personal one, as in 
your own use and you're not mm. uh, leasing it, then you know it's it's a lot easier and there mm. aren't many downsides apart from obviously safety. Exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. I think that's what's so interesting about the whole industry is the fact that there is such promise for so many so many things that it could at least alleviate or help with, especially mm. stuff like pollution. So mm. like. You know, it's such a big thing at the moment um, in the cities with sort of low emission zones and people, uh, there was that girl recently whose mum has kind of taken taken the, count, I think, Lewisham Council to court or something about um, her child who died of asthma and it was basically related to the pollution on the uh, South Circular. Okay. Um, so there's kind of, there's definitely a lot more of a, a social awareness for stuff like pollution and air quality um, but then also in terms of, I think, uh, for cities as well, I think it has a lot of potential to free up sort of cities for a bit more of a pedestrianised setup. So if you had, if you could kind of minimise the amount of cars, you could maybe change the way that the roads operate, have more space for pedestrians, have a bit more of a kind of, especially central London, you haven't got that, you know, huge trucks and stuff like that yeah, I mean it's obviously you've got to have those trucks in to move stuff around and things like that but stuff yeah, like but I see buses what you mean, kind and of trying to restrict it yeah have so much exactly need I yeah. guess it it raises the same problems though doesn't it because they've already had reports at the moment of you know people on scooters using pavements exactly. because the roads aren't safe yeah. enough well yeah. Yeah. which do you get first yeah. you know you get scooters on roads mm. there are more accidents so the local authorities have to put more yeah. You know, is it a cycle lane and a scooter lane? Exactly, yeah. Well, this is you know, like when you go swimming, you've got a slow lane and a fast lane, but it's all everyone's swimming. <laughs> Maybe there's something like that, a slow lane and a fast lane for electric scooters and cyclists. Yeah. Although you'd still get the cyclists like you and yeah. my husband who just wants to race them yeah. and prove that they're, yeah, they're faster. faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the cool kids that you are. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. So I think it's obviously, there's a lot of promise to it. Um, but they're also, again, because it's so, the speed at which the industry has kind of come about and mm. appeared, it's caused a lot of issues in terms of regulation and infrastructure and things like that. Much like, you know, when electric cars first started popping up and people were, there was a big hype about it and people were buying these yeah. sort of hybrid cars and stuff like that. But they actually quickly realised that the infrastructure just isn't there yet in order to support mm. us kind of... Uh, sort of seamless journey every time there's stuff like you know like my, my friend's got a electric car which he takes from work a couple of times uh, a month and that is great for getting around London but he drove to the south coast or something and like couldn't find a charger anywhere <laughs> <laughs> so he was like driving around trying to find this charger I eventually found it but there was a huge queue for it mm. had to ended up waiting like an hour and a half to be able to like essentially fill up your car to go yeah so there's all these kind of like barriers in the way of it becoming a sort of socially accepted thing and i think a lot of you know the lack of infrastructure and stuff causes a big pushback from the public as well so if people are suddenly yeah. riding these scooters on pavements like you said yeah but you know it's, it's hard isn't it because you, the the technologies and the companies are moving really really quickly to get mm. a first mover advantage but they're moving faster than local authorities and local governments can set the right regulation mm. to follow safety, etc. So a few cities have gone about it a few ways, haven't they? They've either gone blanket ban until we figure out 
how you can actually use our cities for these products. Um, Some have done just a couple of contracts with select companies Mm -hmm. that they've obviously just, you know, um, almost created a bespoke terms with them, terms, contract, whatever, with them. Um, But it's hard because... I guess you had it with Uber when they were really first coming out and everyone was really excited about it. It was all amazing. And then all these safety issues came up mm. um, around the world. You know, they had different safety issues in, in India, certainly around Delhi and mm. yeah. really quite unpleasant things happening. Yeah. So it's almost, it moves too quickly and the law and regulation is a slower beast to mm. actually update. Yeah. Um, so it's a real challenge for, for government yeah, it to, is. to follow. Mm. But you can absolutely see the advantages of it. It's just, it's like anything, you have to kind of, you have to have some ground rules, some controls over it. Mm-hmm. And, let, and then just let the kind of industry mature into that. Yeah, because it's in a bit of a boom at the moment, isn't it? It's gone nuts. <clears throat> yeah. Which again, like ride sharing did. Yeah. And then that's kind of calmed down. Mm. I mean, in some cases, wasn't it only... It's only now that um, local authorities are actually providing li- the correct licences to yeah, companies yeah. to take them this long to actually yeah. figure out what they're going to do. Well, I mean, my friend was saying as well, with even with electric scooters in the UK, in London, for example, mm. it's illegal to have it, like, on the street, apparently. So, like, you can't... On the te- road? Yeah, you can't technically drive them, but uh. people just do anyway. It's because they haven't got, like... There's no... The police are like, well, what do we do? We stop them, or do we yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. What do we do? It's like no so one's not caught up. Regulated yeah, for. exactly. And then and that kind of feeds into that whole thing of public, public perception and kind of public acceptance of these things because so many mm. people, like I said before, like my dad, is like petrified about the, the, the thought that these because back in Oxford at home, it's these bikes like Mobike and pony bike we got like absolutely inundated with them and they're all dockless uh. and we have a lot of shoot like big student population everyone was riding them it was quite a small place and there was just bikes like everywhere like uh, on the left. river in the river like in the most impractical places like outside your front door like there was once like five bikes parked quite neatly but just like across the pavement <laughs> on the roads there's all these people like getting really frustrated and I think that's really important to crack soon, sooner rather than later, because mm-hmm. otherwise you might end up sort of permanently damaging people's perception of. Yeah, it's true. So it's kind of like trying to get trying to get people to see the positives. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just seeing them as some kind of like nuisance and. It's a lesson, isn't it? You can't just flood the market. No. And just go well as long as we've got the most out there all over the place. Then, yeah. Then we'll win. Yeah. But in that case, it's not going to work, is no. it? You're going to become the nuisance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if people, yeah. And I think in that situation, if you were much more careful and considerate about it, mm. you might actually end up getting a lot more respect and trust. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, from, from what we've seen and from the kind of different offerings that are out there at the moment, um, one thing seems to be quite sort of prevalent is the need for a seamless kind of experience and a and a positive experience overall. Mm-hmm. And that could be anything from the app that they're using, uh, where they're leaving the vehicles, how easy they are to operate, mm-hmm. the kind of what we're 
how how educated we are about you so how comfortable we are using them so how how do you think brands and micro mobility brands can provide that seamless experience and how you know how do you agree is that something that's very important i do because i think one of the key um i guess needs that people that brands the micro mobility brands are trying to answer is convenience i guess that's one of the number ones then it's around um, more environmental needs if people are trying to improve their carbon footprint, for example. So I think convenience, just because, I mean, it's one of the reasons Uber was so successful over black cabs is they offered convenience. You mm-hmm. know, wherever you were, you've got an app. The app worked really well, very clear. And they've used that app throughout to, to kind of bring forth improvements in terms of the safety and, and that aspect of it. So I think they've been really, regardless of what you think of them in, in terms of their ethos and um, morality, uh, the way that they've managed their experience is impressive. Mm. And I think there's a lot for micro-mobility brands to learn from that. I think the, the challenge they've got is it's, it's a different model, isn't it? It's a different beast. That It's the logistical nightmare to figure out where all these um, bikes are being left unless you have them in docks. But then you can't possibly have all of the docks, you know, in terms of, I guess, negotiating rent with the local authority about, well, I want this many outside Liverpool Street Station. Yeah. Well, it's unfair if you've got 10 docks and I've got five. Mm. How do they work that out? Um, So I think for me it is that it's answering the convenience need first and foremost. And, you know, that can be done... Thankfully, with with apps and geolocation and things like that, they can you can have a look on a map where the closest ones are to you. Mm. But yes, your point, they're always going to have to fill that in with people running around London picking up bikes from wherever they exactly. are, or whatever city they might be in. Yeah. Um, so I think they really have to think about take themselves back to what is the consumer need and try and be answering that. Um, but yeah, and like you're right, I think it is that. The, the the fact that it's so convenient is the draw is that mm. that initial kind of like the first thing you think of is like oh that's just easier to do that and it's and it's also I think the way so for example like with Uber you can track your journey you can see how much you're spending you can see like an estimate of how much it's going to cost yeah all these kind of things are so useful in just like reassuring you that you've picked the easiest option or the most convenient option. I think also to your point about Uber, what they've done really well, and this kind of goes on to our next uh, question a little bit about competition, but where Uber have succeeded is they've managed to combine various services that have popped up in the last 10 years or so, like food delivery, mm. road hailing, and micro-mobility now, because they've bought out um, a couple of micro-mobility companies or made partnerships with them. Um, they're offering a kind of all-in-one service completely formed around that whole thing of convenience mm. about saying, right, well, if you you can't be asked to go to a restaurant, just order it off your phone. If yeah. you can't be asked to wait for a black cab, just order it off your phone. If you want to get a scooter to work because you can't, you know, you don't want to order a taxi, just do it on your phone on the same app. Mm. And that kind of, <clears throat> not only is that yeah super convenient for everyone and really kind of easy because it's just one hub that they can go to for all of their convenient needs but it also as a brand that massively strengthens your brand loyalty and it's kind of gets the association with because I mean now you associate ride hailing with 
Uber, even yeah. though there is Addison Lee and there's various other ones. Ride hailing, anyone ever thinks of that, they're like Uber straight away. Mm. So it's kind of, they've already got that brand loyalty and mm. it's like now they can just swoop in and sort of pick up and pull them together. So yeah, so I think that's a, yeah, it's an interesting point about kind of convenience and experience. So I think they're definitely kind of intrinsically connected. Yeah, and I think it, I think there has to be a digital element. Yeah. You know, to make it work and to actually to kind of mix the convenience for consumers with the logistical side of it, there has to be something that you can have on your phone, look where the nearest one is, yeah. book it. You know, if you don't have a, a, a kind of dock, like the, uh, whatever was is now the Boris bike. Mm, the like Santander Yeah, they'll probably be Boris yeah, bikes to me. Yeah. But... You know, they obviously have the docking station, which is known for being a little bit glitchy mm. now and yeah. again. So if you've got something that's just on your phone as you're walking off the train or out of the tube, you just check your phone and it's there. You exactly. don't have to fight, you know, go to the dock. If there are no bikes there, what do you do? Or if the bikes there are a bit faulty, you have to fiddle with all the codes. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. And I think, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, if you go on Uber, you open up the app and it's literally on the map straight away. Mm. It's not like, do all of these little bits and like say yes and no to that and mm. all this kind of thing. It's yeah. like designed for like, from deciding that you want a cab to like ordering it, it's designed to be like as fast as possible. Yeah. So All your say, details are saved. Yeah, cards, everything. everything. Yeah. yeah. It's all connected. So, they, you know, they have to kind of learn from that experience. Yeah. Um, and look to other industries and how they've done it. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of be successful. Yeah, so that kind of, I mean, that kind of goes on to the next bit, which is about competition. So obviously we've alluded to the fact that there is a huge, overwhelming amount of startups at the moment who are mm. all trying to do very similar things, be it in, you know, mainly in the US and China and Europe. Uh, there are ones popping up in South America, Africa, stuff mm. like that, but the problems of infrastructure are even more... Um, exaggerated in those places yeah. because they're literally you can't you know if there's a road that hasn't got an actual tarmac or any kind of rideable <laughs> surface if you want to go on like a little tiny two-wheeled scooter is probably not going to be very practical um, but again you know just building that they are those are markets that potentially could be the biggest ones because there's such a dire need for those quick kind of transports between and mm. um, Anyway, yeah, so competition, there's a lot, there's a hell of a lot of companies all vying for space. So I kind of wanted to ask you what, what can they do in order to stand apart from each other, but also to attract investment from if they're looking to be acquired or to exit or whether they're vying for a license or a regulatory approval in mm -hmm. a city. How do they use their brand in order to kind of stand out? From, from. I think it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of them have quite kind of techy, digital-looking brands, but a lot have gone for single-syllable names, you know, Bird, Lime, Lift, uh, Scoot, Spin, Grin. It, you end up getting lost between them, and if they're all offering exactly the same thing, they're not really pulling themselves apart. And I think... As well, some of the names don't necessarily, they won't necessarily resonate with 
the authorities that are going to have to be giving them the regulation. You know, they need to look trusted. They need to look like... Uh, they almost need to portray that they're kind of five years ahead of where they are right now mm. to show, look, we are serious. We know what we're doing. These are our plans. And actually, you can say it as much as you want, but if your brand identity and your name don't follow through, then they're not going to believe you. So I think there's a lot that they they need to be thinking about. I guess a lot of them are just let's get started, let's get set up and they just want to be acquired which Mm. is great for them but again Mm. there's a lot of others that want to get acquired right now so why would an investor pick you and ultimately it's going to be your potential and the perception that you've got so I think they shouldn't underestimate the need for that to communicate what makes them different you know have they got exactly the same model as others but they've just got more scooters is that all they've got or what really pulls them apart um you know have they got the logistics sorted so okay yeah they might just have more scooters but we can get more scooters than anybody else in this area by a long way you know is that what stands them apart or is it that um you know do they hang on more of the environmental side of it because yeah okay they're all saying that they're better than um traditional fossil fuel vehicles but then you know going through the supply chain what is the impact there and who's owning that space yeah um and who's communicating that to customers because i think you know you've kind of got three key audiences you've got the end user the person actually scooting or cycling would you still call it cycling if you're not really pedaling riding like cling 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 (laughs) clinging um (laughs) Sounds like something I would do. <laughs> so you've got the end users, you've got the the investors, or potentially you know your big players like Uber that might want to buy you out one day. And then you've also got the more um, regulatory yeah. and your your governments. Mm. And each audience you'll need to consider in a slightly different way because you'll need to be talking to them in a different way about different things standing out in a slightly different way so they you know each of these ride guys ride guys brands <laughs> <laughs> need to think about that's the new, that's a, ne- I new like name that the ride lot, guys I like that a lot better than micro mobility because that's such a the ride mouthful. guys you heard it here first yeah the ride guys <laughs> the ride guys um <laughs> You know, at the moment, a lot of them are pushing for first mover advantage, and yeah. we're the first one in London, we're the first one in San Francisco, you know, we're the first ones in China, but yeah. they'll There's get no... caught up, mm. you know, unless they keep pushing and keep innovating and really cement what they're about. Because if they can do that, you could argue that that's really what Uber did. They cemented who they were and what they did. So it's been really hard for anybody to catch them up. But like you say, they've also been acquiring mm. and been looking around, so they haven't just gone this is the one thing we do mm. we're going to stay doing it and yeah. that's it they've kept moving and so i think that, and i think that's also i think the the massive competition as well has been driven as by like you said it's that first you'll get a country i don't know france and there'll be a startup that will come out of that and they'll be like we're the first people in france that are doing this but mm. they're not thinking about actually it's probably like 10 other people in France are doing this. There's also people in the UK and also people in like Denmark and they're all doing the same thing and eventually they are going to end up catering globally or mm. at least, you know, to Europe or whatever. And I think that in in terms of, you know, you're saying about like, yeah, the environment, environmental 
like effects, the positive effects that it can have. I don't actually see that many of these companies saying that. Mm. Like there's not a real, you know, when you're not when you're on burden, they're not like, you know, you're saving this amount of fuel or you're 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 saving that amount of CO two emissions or whatever. It's mm. kind of and you I mean you could do stuff with that I guess and kind of try and emphasize the problems that they're trying to solve. Whereas at the moment it feels often like when I was in Paris last year, I went on one of the bird scooters and it was like just a bit of fun it was yeah. kind of like people were just going on them who were tourists just like whizzing around it. exactly mm. and then you put it down don't bother going on them again yeah. so i think that almost trying to sell it in a way to consumers and to authorities and to anyone that it's a kind of a serious thing that's meant for I mean, it doesn't have to be. But. No, because I think that's the point, you know. Some of them might say, right, well, our key demographic is tourists. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they'll gear themselves up and they'll set their business model mm. and their experience for tourists that are coming into a country. You know, they might not have data on their phone, for yeah. example. How do you manage with those? Yeah. Um, and then others will go, right, well, our demographic is actually the more um, environmentally conscious. Mm. And it, it helps you to target them in, firstly, the, you know, where you're targeting them, but what you're targeting them about. Mm. But that's it. I think you're almost starting to break down that you can say micromobility, but actually within that, there are so many different facets. 100%, yeah. That, you know, if you're really doing your research into what consumers want and actually asking them and continuing to ask those questions as technology evolves, as, you know... Um, the media talks about them more in different ways. You need to constantly be asking your customers what they think and what they want. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, you're right. It's almost, you have to pick your audience even down to whether it's tourists or commuters or mm. elderly people or young people mm. or whatever. There's got to be thought about how, because they're all going to use them in different ways. I was thinking like with... You know, with a young person, they're tech literate, tech savvy, mm-hmm. they use a phone every day. If they're asked to download an app and, you know, key in their card details and a bit of info, easy peasy. But if that's, yeah. you know, a person who's not tech savvy, older generational, like someone like my granddad, not that he'd be on an electric scooter anytime soon. <laughs> they were two-wheeled anyway, maybe four-wheeled. Um, but he, that would be significantly more difficult for him to kind of mm. navigate yeah I think as well, and also I forgot to say as well I think I'm kind of slightly off topic but a really interesting problem that's going to be hitting these companies is seasonality yeah which I never really thought about before but it's so true because <clears throat> these companies really have to think about yeah all of their audiences but then also how all of their audiences are going to be traveling at different times of year yeah and how the season is inevitably going to affect someone wanting to get I mean I wouldn't want to jump on a scooter at sort of minus five in December no. in the rain no you'd probably just take a train instead um so that's yeah just another thing to just popped into my head bear in mind yeah because you flood that. the market and then yeah what do you do over winter exactly. you store half the yeah exactly vehicles yeah how do you and and can you do it can you somehow I don't know offer a different micro mobility service in winter or something. Yeah, you reduce know. your subscription. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Um and then the, the kind of final thing I want to touch on, um, which is sort of a new phrase to me, um, 
which is tech for good. Hmm. And it's quite, it's, I mean, it's a really, I find it a really interesting space and it can be anything, you know, from tech to help with identifying kind of floodplains in somewhere like Bangladesh, which is notoriously floodable. Um, it could be for getting fresh water, it could be um, some kind of like, I'm sure you could kind of tie it into health as well, kind of health tech, tech for good. Yeah. Where it's sort of and often non for profit, so it's often a thing where it's not. Yeah, it's not. They're not going out there to make billions of dollars, which I'm. But I mean, I'm sure the big players probably will do still. But yeah. um, it's kind of yeah. It's focusing on how we can use tech, especially with AI and all of that stuff at the moment coming out. How we can use that in order to create a better world to live in, essentially. Yeah. So I was wondering, I mean, from that very vague description, I was wondering whether you, whether you thought that you could class micro-mobility as tech for good. Because for me, I, I can in one sense that it's solving a lot of issues in terms of what we've gone through. So emissions, um, mm-hmm. open, another thing is kind of opening up underserved areas. So places where often kind of a poor, um, poorer area that's almost slightly siloed from a city in terms of connections and transport. Um, so it has a real, I mean, there was a study in, um, in America, which kind of, uh, I think it was in Chicago or something like that. And they decided, uh, they discerned from the data that they'd got from the kind of trial that it had opened up opportunity for kind of lower class um, systems purely through essentially opening up a route and an easier way to get into kind of get to a station or get to a bus stop or whatever. So I think there's real kind of, and then yeah, obviously pollution, emissions, air quality, um, everything like that, the environment as a whole, obviously could really benefit from a massive reduction in petrol-powered cars and things like that and micro-mobility might be a quicker quicker method to that than betting it all on electric cars because I feel like that's still going to take a while to sort of to roll out. Um, so I do think it's tech for good in some ways but then I also think that it's because of, you kind of touched on it earlier about the supply chain and the fact that the actual, everything that kind of builds up to the micro-mobility vehicle is still very polluting and it's still, you know, like the energy that's used to charge the vehicle might still be coming from a fossil fuel. Exactly, yeah. um, the parts that make the the, uh, the scooter or the bike could be massively uh, wasteful and kind of... I mean, have you seen the photos of the the dockless bike graveyards in China? No. It's actually pretty shocking. There's like literally like hundreds of thousands of these bikes that are like broken or... And they like, just haven't bothered to fix them. They haven't bothered to fix them because firstly there's not it's too expensive. The profit margins are so low on, on oh. micro-mobility as a whole that it's too expensive to bother doing it. And it's also they don't have the people and like the the skill and the workforce in order to actually carry out these Maintain repairs. So you end up with these huge like mountains of I'll find a, f- a photo for you later, but um, of these bikes. Which is like, where do you put them? It's just waste. And yeah, I mean, you can obviously scrap them, but still, it's not like a clean process. You can't just go, right, that one bike is going to turn directly into a, another bike or whatever. Yeah. So, and there's kind of initiatives I heard about with the guy who's actually buying up these bikes and 
fixing them himself, building a company that fixes these bikes and then sells them on to kind of poorer nations. It's almost like a recycled bike. But I think that's still very much in its infancy and very much sort of not... On an individual basis rather than an industry basis. Yeah, it was like, oh, we hope to have a thousand bikes in the next five years or something. Whereas these other companies are like, we've got 50,000 bikes already out there. So it's kind of, yeah, vastly different. But so I think... I think the, the the potential is definitely set for good. It's kind of ties in for that. But then I think as it is right now, it's not actually alleviating that much because because of everything, because of all the issues that are facing it and because so make, of yeah. the supply chain. It's almost solving one so. problem and causing others. Exactly. Which is quite often the way it's... Yeah. You know, you, you solve a need and argue that technically it's more environmentally friendly, but quite often you dig into it and... There are other issues that yeah. it causes. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because you could see that going forward, you could start to have a bit of a, a gig economy around it as well. You know, do you have gig workers that can go out and fetch vehicles and move vehicles where they need to if they're around and they've got an app and it tells them where bikes are actually, well, yeah, actually for a couple of quid, I'll move that bike up, mm. up the road closer to a station if that's what needs to happen. Mm. So, you know, could you bring in kind of some of the good gig principles? Yeah, because, I mean, they already do that with, with charging. So you, mm. can, you can get paid to charge bird scooters oh, in your really? house. Yeah. So, but again, how practical is that? And also, they're still charging them on mains electricity. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, not coming from renewable energy. No, is it? It's kind of, you need that completely circular eventual circular economy of and that's that's not something that the brands themselves are going to be able to control because no. they're plugging into a exactly. wider network that's yeah you know yeah. on a country level basis rather than a brand level basis yeah it is hard i mean i, I don't i know that there's concerns around safety and um you know where they're being left etc but that feels like something that can be ironed out in time in time mm. it's not a it just needs regulation set around it but yeah that will happen or it has to happen if these continue to grow yeah you know you'll have start having speed limiters on there you'll start having to wear a helmet yeah if you've got a scooter that can go over x amount x yeah and a number plate as well that's the other number thing plate yeah. it'll be registered yeah um so there's lots of ways you know if this industry is going to remain and maintain it will have to abide and start to align it can't be as rogue as, as yeah. it is now yeah but it's difficult, isn't it? Because tech for good suggests that everything about them is good. Yeah, exactly. And that it's, and again, that it's a profitless, that a profitless or a sort of, yeah, a worldwide solution to a worldwide problem. Mm. Which, yeah, I don't think it totally fits as it is at the moment, mm. anyway. Mm. But yeah, okay. But it's an exciting one. It is, it is. And I think, like, the potential is there. I'm worried about the French capital essentially completely dominating the industry to the point where it is just a sort of like all of those important things we've talked about, environment and things like that, will kind of get forgotten in mm-hmm. place of the most profit as possible or the cheapest yeah, cheapest no. thing, which I think is I think that could undermine the the potential for or at least the speed at which it f- reaches that potential. Um, well, potential for good yeah or, yeah yeah and potential to solve all the problems that it claims to 
to kind of. I think that's part. That's partly down to consumers as well, because you know, if you're being asked what's the more important thing, convenience or saving the world, a lot of them are going to go with convenience. Mm. So for yeah. brands, if they want to be profitable and they want to be successful and they, you know, are vying for money from investors who definitely want it to be profitable, then they have to focus on that need. You know, there will be some like the, the guy you mentioned. Yeah. Recycling the little bikes that end up in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. But that that's more on an individual basis. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's a... It's a tricky one. There's a lot of challenges with it, but it is an exciting one. Definitely. And I think there's also potential as well for it to become a... I could def- I mean, because it's a privatised industry at the moment, and there is potential that the government could, or, or cities or whatever, could actually take over, operate... I mean, with Boris yeah, Bikes. TFL. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. could then maybe slightly minimise the, the money grabbing. Um, but yeah, very interesting. Well, today, unfortunately, we're a very busy studio at the moment, so Johnny was actually going to join us on this podcast, but he's unfortunately had to be pulled away uh, to work on something. So it also means that we can't do our fun last ending bit where we propose a situation that Johnny uh, might find himself in and then try and figure out what he'd do. So you'll just have to listen to the previous two or wait till the next one to find out what Johnny will do in another ridiculous situation. <laughs> Thank Can't you very wait. much for listening. Thanks all. Cheers. Cheers, Bethan. Thanks, Bethan.